So how much reading have you done since we read chapter one? Zero. <laughs> just, just unfortunately, Outlook is all I read. All and I've been I, reading is emails from the company. Yeah, that's... Yeah, that's, or, uh, you know, I patrol the internet in my spare time, so that reading. <laughs> but other than that... <laughs> Well, welcome back to Rebar Read, season one. We're reading The Great Gatsby, and this is chapter two of The Great Gatsby. So, uh, Jess, I did pull up a summary of chapter one just so we can, like, make sure we're on the same page. So, if we remember chapter one, we meet Nick Carraway. He is the narrator. He's a writer. And he just arrived in New York, and he's renting a house on part of Long Island called West Egg. And it's, like, the new rich. And then he goes... Um, over to East Egg um, to have dinner with his cousin Daisy and her husband, Tom Buchanan, who Nick used to know back at Yale. And Tom's this powerful guy and blah, blah, blah. And there's an awkward dinner. And Jordan, the remember the friend Jordan? She's like, I have a golf tournament. She's going to go to bed. Um, Tom and Daisy want Nick to like, go out with Jordan. And then Nick comes home and sees Gatsby for the first time. And Gatsby's looking out at a distant green light at the end of the dock. So that's chapter one. Are we ready for chapter two? Let's go, baby. Okay, I can't wait to hear. I can't wait for your, your color commentary. Here we go. Chapter two. About halfway between West Egg and New York, the motor road hastily joins the railroad and runs beside it for a quarter of a mile so as to shrink away from a certain desolate area of land. This is a valley of ashes, a fantastic farm where ashes grow like wheat into ridges and hills and grotesque gardens where ashes take the forms of houses and chimneys and rising smoke and finally, with a transcendent effort of men who move dimly and already crumbling through the powdery air. Occasionally, a line of gray cars crawls along an invisible track, gives out a ghastly creak and comes to rest and immediately... The ash-gray men swarm up the leaden spades and stir up an impenetrable cloud which screens their obscure operations from your sight. Oh, the property prices are probably so bad in this neighborhood. I <laughs> I feel like if that was in New York today, it'd be like 4K. <laughs> 4K a month to live in this place. <laughs> But above the gray land of the spasms of bleak dust which drift endlessly over it, you perceive, after a moment, the eyes of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg. The eyes of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg are blue and gigantic. <laughs> Their retinas are one yard high. They look out of no face, but instead from a pair of enormous yellow spectacles which pass over a non-existent nose. Evidently, some wild wag and an occultist sat them there to fatten his practice in the borough of Queens and then sink down himself in internal blindness or forgot them and moved away. But his eyes, dimmed a little by many paintless days under sun and rain, brood on over the solemn dumping ground. The Valley of Ashes is bounded on one side by a small foul river, and when the drawbridge is up till it barges through, the passengers on waiting trains can stare at the dismal scene for as long as a half an hour. There is always a halt there of at least a minute, and it is because of this that I first met Tom Buchanan's mistress. <gasps> oh, we meet the mistress, the other woman. I'm sorry, but, like, if you were going to cheat on someone, would you cheat on someone who, like, I don't know, 
like, his name live? Tom? No. <laughs> <laughs> Not what I was going to ask. Fair point. Uh, <laughs> the fact that Tom had one was insisted upon wherever he was known. His acquaintances <laughs> resented. I like how I like that. It insisted upon you insisted upon itself. So <laughs> his acquaintances resented the fact that he turned up in popular restaurants with her and leaving her at a table, sauntered around chatting with whomever he knew. Oh, I hate that. Do don't you dare bring your mister or mistress to a function and then leave and make me talk to the person that you're cheating on. I'm not oh, going to do my- that. I would I, I refuse. Um, That's like inviting getting a plus one to a wedding and bringing not your significant other. <laughs> you just bring <laughs> what he said i could bring a plus one or even worse like bringing like someone that you've been dating for like three months to the wedding and it's like oh like is this gonna be a thing like do we have to try and get to know this person or like is this not gonna work out like oh though i was curious to see her i had no desire to meet her but i did (laughs) oh that feels like some someone said that about you jess (laughs) that's literally all i was thinking i was like that's like everybody like i see her i have no desire to approach i want to see her but i don't want to meet her but i I did anyway i don't want to communicate with her but little do you know you'll be on a date with somebody walking around and i'll run into you (laughs) you know the list of things that i'm curious to see and not meet it's like very small you know what i mean like i want to see train wrecks but i don't want to meet the train wrecks right you know um, I went up to New York with Tom on the train one afternoon, and when we stopped by the ash heaps, he jumped to his feet and, taking hold of my elbow, literally forced me from the car. We're getting off, Tom insisted. I want you to meet my girl. I think he tanked up a good deal at luncheon, and his determination to have my company bordered on violence. The super superfluous assumption was that on Sunday afternoon I had nothing better to do. Oh, please. It's 1920. What else are you going to do? You're going to go home and watch TV? No, it didn't exist. You're going to go home and do Tumblr? No, it didn't exist. Although I guess gay porn existed back then. Um, So he could have that. I followed him over a low, whitewashed railroad fence, and we walked back 100 yards along the road under Dockel Eckelberg's persistent stare. The only building in sight was a small block of yellow brick sitting on the edge of the wasteland, a sort of compact main street ministering to it and contiguous to absolutely nothing. Of the three shops it contained was for rent, and another was an all-night restaurant approached by a trail of ashes, and the third was a garage, repairs, George B. Wilson, cars bought and sold, and I followed Tom inside. The interior was unprosperous and bare. Oh, that's like my dating life unprosperous and bare. (laughs) The only car visible was the dust-covered wreck of a Ford, which crouched in a dim corner. It had occurred to me that this shadow of a garage must be blind and that sumptuous and romantic apartments were concealed overhead when the proprietor himself appeared in the door of an office, wiping his hands on a piece of waste. Oh, that is filthy. That's worse than when the guys pee and don't wash their hands in the bathroom. Wiping your hands on waste. Ugh. He was a blonde, spiritless man, anemic, and faintly handsome. Okay, he describes every guy in this book as handsome. Also, how is spiritless and anemic, but faintly handsome? Like, it sounds like a guy is like, ooh, like dying. Like, what? It sounds like maybe the author is also a male attracted to males. (laughs) Therefore, males bang anything. So. That's literally what how he's describing. He's like, just so you know, like 
he either has money or he's tall is what he's saying when he's like handsome. <laughs> I like the idea that he's like, oh, my gosh, this guy was so ugly, but I do him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I don't even know where I'm at. OK, we're back. To the <laughs> Hello, Wilson, old man, said Tom, <laughs> slapping him jovially on the shoulder. How's business? I can't complain, answered Wilson unconvincingly. When are you going to sell me that car? Next week, I've got my man working on it right now. Works pretty slow, don't he? No, he doesn't, said Tom coldly. And if you feel that way about it, maybe I'd better sell it somewhere else after all. I don't mean that, explained Wilson quickly. I just meant... His voice faded off, and Tom glanced impatiently around the garage. Then I heard footsteps on the stairs, and in a moment, the thickest, ooh, the thickish figure of a woman blocked out the light from the office door. Oh, look at her. She's so thick, she's blocking all the light from the office door. That mm-hmm. is... Why isn't she described as, like, beautiful <laughs> or handsome? <laughs> she takes the whole door frame. No, <laughs> no light can come out. She was in her middle thirties and faintly stout, but she carried her surplus flesh sensuously, as some women can. Surplus flesh sensuously. Jesus Christ. As some women can. <laughs> she got a big booty, so I call a big booty. <laughs> I'm gonna drop that at the club next time. Yes, your surplus your surplus flesh is sensuous tonight, darling. <laughs> oh my goodness. Her face, above a spotted dress of dark blue crepe de chine, contained no facet or gleam of beauty, but there was an immediately perceptible vitality about her, as if the nerves of her body were continually smoldering. She smiled slowly and walking through her husband as if he were a ghost and shook hands with Tom, looking him flush in the eye. Then she wet her lips, and without turning around, she spoke to her husband in a soft, coarse voice. Get some chairs, won't ya? So someone can sit down. Oh, sure. Agreed Wilson hurriedly and went towards the little office, mingling immediately with the cement color of the walls. A white ashen dust veiled his dark suit and his pale hair as it veiled everything in the vicinity, except his wife, who moved close to Tom. I want to see you, said Tom intently. Get on the next train. All right. (laughs) I'll meet you. (laughs) This voice, Jesus Christ. I'll meet you by the newsstand on the low, on the lower level. She nodded and moved away from him just as George Wilson emerged with two chairs from his office door. We waited for her down the road and out of sight. It was a few days before the 4th of July and a gray, scrawny Italian child was setting torpedoes in a row along the railroad track. Terrible place, isn't it? Said Tom, exchanging a frown with Dr. Eckelberg. Awful. It does her good to get away. Doesn't her husband object? Wilson, <clears throat> he thinks she goes to see her sister in New York. He's so dumb, he doesn't even know he's alive. Oh. Excuse me, I'm very dumb, and I know I'm alive, so uh, get that together, Tom. So Tom Buchanan and his girl and I went up together to New York. I feel like a, like a stand-up comedian. So Tom and his girl and I went up to New York the other day. Jesus Christ. Or not quite together, for Miss Wilson sat discreetly in another car. Tom deferred that much to the sensibilities of those East Eggers who might be on the train. She had changed her dress to a brown-figured muslin. What's a muslin? Is that a type of dress? Keep keep 
going with the context clues here. What else was she well, wearing? This is brown figured muslin, which stretched tight over her rather wide hips. Her rather wide hips. I like he's just fat shaming her. I'm sorry. He's just like, I don't know. Or he's just saying that she's like, I mean, what I'm hearing is that she's very hot. So can continue. <laughs> he called the man. He called all the men handsome, but he didn't even say anything like she was beautiful. It just said like she was smoldering, which like spaghetti could be smoldering. Right. I mean, I don't know. I don't think that's like a fair word. But anywho. As Tom helped her to the platform in New York, at the newsstand, she bought a copy of Town Tattle and a movie picture magazine, and in the station drugstore, some cold cream and a small flask of perfume. Upstairs in the solemn, echoing drive, she let four taxicabs drive away before she selected a new one, lavender-colored with gray upholstery, and in this we slid out from the mass of the station into the glowing sunshine. But immediately she turned sharply from the window and, leaning forward, tapped on the front glass. I want to get one of those dogs, she said earnestly. I want to get one for the apartment. And nice to have a dog. (laughs) We backed up to a gray old man who bore an absurd resemblance to John D. Rockefeller. In a basket swung from his neck, cowered a dozen very recently puppies of an intermediate breed. What kind are they? Oh, wait, did I give her that voice? What kind are they? What kind are they? As Miss Wilson <laughs> eagerly, she came to windows. All kinds. What do you want, lady? I'd like to get one of those police dogs. I don't suppose you can't have that kind. The man peered doubtfully in the basket, plunged his hand, and drew out one wriggling by the back of his neck. That's no police dog, said Tom. No, it's not exactly a police dog, said the man with disappointment in his voice. It's more of an Airedale. He passed his hand over the brown wash rag of a back. Look at that coat. Some coat. That's a dog that'll never bother you without catching a cold. I think it's cute, said Miss Wilson enthusiastically. How much is it? This dog? He looked at it admiringly. That dog will cost you $10. Oh, my God. $10 in the 1920s? <gasps> that had to be like a million dollars for that dog. <laughs> you had penny candy and $10 for I a I think a maybe, maybe it's more like 100 I still this is the city like i feel like <laughs> that oh. dog costs ten dollars in new york it would cost three dollars in cleveland <laughs> no that dog would be like well you let it in it's yours now <laughs> oh my god you would be renting that dog uh in today in new york um <laughs> Uh, where were we? Okay, the Arendale, undoubtedly there was an Airedale concerned in it somewhere through its lap, where sterling white charged hands and settled down into Mrs. Wilson's lap, where she fondled the weatherproof coat with rapture. Ew. Ew. What, what does that mean? Well, she just like... Fondled the weatherproof coat of the dog with rapture? Like, oh. Is it a boy or, is it a, boy or a girl? She asked delicately. <laughs> that dog? That dog's a boy. It's a bitch said Tom decisively. Okay, Tom. Why does Tom always have to ruin all the good time? Tom is like your ex. We couldn't bring him anywhere, Jess. Always <laughs> negative. Always. What's, what, what's the gender of the dog? It's a bitch. No one wants that attitude. Yeah, I agree. <sighs> Nobody wants somebody with an attitude. <laughs> Here's the thing. If you're going to cheat on your husband, you're going to cheat on with this guy? Not He's a Tom. piece of crap. Well, I you guess have- that's why... That's that's why he's cheating, because he's a piece of crap. But still. Oh, my God. Here's your money. Go and buy ten more dogs with it. Oh. Okay, Tom. 
We drove over to Fifth Avenue, so warm and soft, almost pastoral. Ooh. On the summer afternoon that I wouldn't have been surprised to see a great flock of white sheep turn the corner. Hold on, I said. I have to leave you here. Uh, no, you don't, interposed Tom quickly. Myrtle will be hurt if you don't come up to the apartment, won't you, Myrtle? Come on, she urged. I'll telephone my sister Catherine. She's said to be very beautiful by people who ought to know. By people who ought to know. Who ought to know she's beautiful? Okay, well, I don't have time. Well, I'd like to, but we went on, cutting back again over the park towards the West Hundreds. At 158th Street, the cab stopped at one slice in a long white cake of apartment houses. Throwing a regal homecoming glance around the neighborhood, Miss Wilson gathered up her dog and her other purchases and went haughtily in. <laughs> I'm going to have the McKees come up. She announced Matt, Rose in the Matt, elevator. can you hodl for us? <laughs> and wait, what do you need me to do? How do you hodl? Do you just like... <laughs> yeah, is it like... Boom, 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 boom. Yeah, very tuba, tuba music background. Um, And I got to call my sister, too. The apartment was on the top floor, a small living room, a small dining room, a small bedroom, and a bath. The living room was crowded to the doors with a set of tapestried furniture entirely too large for it, so that to move around was to stumble continuously over scenes of ladies swinging in the gardens of Versailles. The only picture was an overlarged photograph, apparently a hen sitting on a blurred rock. Looking at from a distance, however, the hen resolved itself into a bonnet, and a countenance of a stout old lady beamed down into the room. Several old copies of Town Tattle lay on the table together with a copy of Simon Called Peter and some of the small scandaled magazines of Broadway. Miss Wilson was first concerned with the dog. A reluctant elevator boy went for a box full of straw and some milk, to which he added on his own initiative a tin of large, hard dog biscuits, one of which decomposed apathetically in the saucer of milk all afternoon. Meanwhile, Tom brought out a bottle of whiskey from a locked bureau door. Bureau door. I have been drunk just twice in my life, and the <laughs> second time was that afternoon. Could you imagine if that was the case, Matt, for us? <laughs> Girl, we've been drunk twice in the last week. <laughs> but I also like the idea that like this was the second time in his life getting drunk. Like You're telling me with all those boys back at college, you weren't like... Oh, oh, maybe that's why he didn't want to get drunk because he knew his inhibitions would go. Probably. Continue. What's going to happen? <laughs> I want to write the prequel. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a gay porno. <laughs> yeah, it would definitely be gra graphic for sure. Oh, my God. <sighs> so this is the second time he's ever been drunk. And it was a dim, hazy cast over it until about eight o'clock. The apartment was full of cheerful sun. Sitting on Tom's lap, Miss Wilson called up several people on the telephone. Then there were no cigarettes, and I went out to buy some at the drugstore in the corner. And <laughs> when I came back, they had disappeared. So I sat down discreetly in the living room and read a chapter of Simon Called Peter. Either it was terrible stuff or the whiskey distorted things, because it didn't make any sense to me. Just as Tom and Myrtle, after the first drink, Miss Wilson and I called each other by our first names, reappeared. Uh, Company commenced that's to all arrive. It takes, the... guys. First drink. First name basis. <laughs> I like the idea that, like, until they had that drink, Mrs. Wilson, Mrs. Wilson. Meanwhile, it's like, what's your name? Oh, I don't even know your name. Goodbye. Like, I, I don't know. It's, it's very proper. Proper. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, okay, so they're back. Company commenced to arrive at the apartment door. The sister Catherine was a slender, worldly girl of about thirty, with a solid, sticky bob of red hair 
and a complexion powdered milky white. Oh, that's a horrible description. Also, someone who's described as worldly, I don't really understand what they mean by that. Like, it's almost like they have nothing else to say. So they say world worldly, like she's like, ooh, worldly. I'm sorry. Um, I 100 percent. Um, I feel like worldly is saying that they have enough money or to travel, or it's saying that they've read a lot of books. Oh, maybe. Her eyebrows have been plucked and then drawn on again at a more rakish angle. Oh, rakish angle. This guy does not eyebrows- like women. I like, <laughs> the author idea. Hates women. <laughs> I like how he comes in and her eyebrows are <laughs> rakish. <laughs> rakish angle. But the efforts of nature towards the restoration of the old alignment gave a blurred air to her face. When Catherine moved about there was an incessant clicking as innumerable pottery bracelets jingled up and down her arms. Oh, she's one of those girls with like 500 bracelets on an arm and they're like jingle. Okay, I'm picturing all the bangles and the clicking and the clacking. Oh, I would I'd be so annoyed. I'd be like, can you like take like 40 of those off, please? <laughs> or uh, just like let them slide off, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's like that's how you know you have undiagnosed ADHD when you're like Woo! And then they like, all come down. They all go... <laughs> it's it's fashion and entertainment. Um, <laughs> she came in with such a prop propri- propriety haste, proprietary haste, and looked around <laughs> so possessively at the furniture that I wondered if she lived there. But when I asked her, she laughed immoderately, repeated my question aloud, and told me that she lived with a girlfriend at a hotel. Now, this was back, Jess, before you think lesbian. This was back when girlfriend was used like, yeah, oh, it's my my friend who's a girl, my girlfriend. So Wait, I think we still do that today. I don't but we I usually don't feel like a lot like, of people do, do they? Oh, I do. When I'm like texting, like, oh, because I want people to know, like, you know, the girlfriend, not like the town <laughs> <laughs> i'm hanging with my friend who is a girl <laughs> oh my gosh mr mckee who's mr mckee i guess mr mckee's another character my goodness mr mckee was a pale feminine man from the flat below oh oh a pale feminine man from the flat below so he's a bottom oh, oh. finally finally we get our first legit clearly gay character finally i mean i don't know this whole book pale feminine man is pretty like i i don't know i i would not that's a that's a that's a pretty ding 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 uh if you ask me yeah mr mckee had just shaved for there was a white spot of lather on his cheekbone and he was most respectful in his greeting to everyone in the room he informed me that he was in the artistic game oh jesse's in the artistic game so am I. <laughs> <laughs> Can you call going on a lot of dates with guys artistic game? <laughs> it's, it's an artistic game. <laughs> and I gathered later that he was a photographer and had made the dim enlargement of Mrs. Wilson's mother, which hovered like an ectoplasm on the wall. Oh, his wife. Oh, Mr. McKee's wife was shrill, languid, handsome, and horrible. She told me with pride that her husband had photographed her 127 times since they had been married. <gasps> oh. That's it? <laughs> I like I like the idea of every time she asks for sex, he goes, no, no sex. I will photograph you instead. That's, that's the way to, I guess, keep her at bay. <laughs> 
there will not be sex here tonight, but I'll take a photo. She's like, see, that's why he loves me. He loves me because we don't have sex. He just takes photos of me. (laughs) Mrs. Wilson had changed her. See, I have a wife. I swear (laughs) to God. I I have a wife. Guys, guys, I take photos of her. Of course I love her. Miss <laughs> Wilson had changed her costume sometime before and now attired in an elaborate afternoon dress of cream colored chiffon, which gave out a continual rustle as she swept about the room. With the influence of the dress had, her personality had also gone undergone a change. The intense vitality that had been so remarkable in the garage was converted into impressive hauteur. Her laughter, her gestures, her assertions became more violently affected moment by moment as she expanded the room, grew smaller around her until she seemed to be revolving on a noisy, creaky pivot through the smoky air. My dear, my dear, she told her sister in a high mincing shout. Most of these fellas will cheat you every time. All they think about is money. I had a woman up here last week to look at my feet, and when she gave me the bill, you'd thought she had my appendix out. What was the name of the woman? asked Mrs. McGee. Mrs. <laughs> Idlebart. She goes around looking for people's feet in their own homes. I like your dress, remarked Mrs. McGee. I think it's adorable. Miss Wilson rejected the compliment by raising her eyebrow in disdain. Meanwhile, her sister's eyebrows are like, uh, uh, uh. It's just a crazy old thing, Miss Wilson said. I just slip it on sometimes when I don't care what I look like. Ah, can you believe the audacity of that? I don't care what I look like. I just slip it on sometimes. (laughs) Well, been there, done that. (laughs) (laughs) I just kind of roll with whatever. I just roll out of bed. Okay, this will work. We're going to just do that. But it looks but it looks wonderful on you. If you know what I mean, pursued Mrs. McKee. If Chester could only get you in that pose, I think he could make something out of it. We all looked in silence at Mrs. Wilson, who removed a strand of hair from her own eyes and looked back at us with a brilliant smile. Mr. McGee, closeted gay, married to this annoying lady, regarded her intently with his head on one side and then moved his hand back and forth slowly in front of his face. I should change the light, he said after a moment. I'd like to bring out the modeling of the features, and I'd like to get a hold of all that back hair. All that, is that back what it hair. Actually says? All it actually say hold of all hair? the back hair. I think he means like her hair that's on her. I don't think he means that she has back hair. I think yeah. he's attracted to back hair. That's my theory. <laughs> we one hundred percent is because like, only real, only men who love men are attracted to back hair. <laughs> this is like the gayest read of The Great Gatsby ever. I feel like people who genuinely like love this book are like, oh my god, it's ruined. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's even better now. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you from uh you're welcome from Jess and me. Um <laughs> I wouldn't think of changing the light, cried Miss McGee. I think it's her husband said shush. Or well, he said it gaily. Shush. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're both gonna get canceled for laughing that hard at that. <laughs> I just like the idea of it, like, or like he's pretending to be straight, like, yes, I'm straight. And then, like, in that moment when she's like talking, shush, I shush. <laughs> and we all looked at the subject again, whereupon Tom Buchanan yawned audibly and got to his feet. You McKees have something to drink. Get some more ice and some mineral water, Myrtle, before everyone goes to sleep. 
I told the boy about the ice. Myrtle raised her eyebrows in despair at the shiftlessness of the lower orders. These people, you have to keep them, you have to keep after them all the time. Oh, this is, these are the rich people that don't tip, that expect, you know, the best service from people on minimum wage. About to go off on them. Myrtle looked at me and laughed pointlessly. Then she flounced over to the dog, kissed it with ecstasy, and swept into the kitchen, implying that a dozen chefs awaited her orders there. I've done some nice things out on Long Island, asserted Mr. McKee. Tom looked at him blankly. No Two of them we have framed. What in was Long that? Island. No one's done nice things in Long Island. <laughs> <laughs> when was the last time a nice thing happened on Long Island? Let us know. Tom looked at him blank. Pete Davidson. <laughs> Pete Davidson. Oh my God. Tom looked at him blankly. Two that we have framed downstairs. Two, two what? Demanded Tom. Oh, two studies. One of them I call Mountain Peak the Gulls, Montauk Peak the Gulls, and the other I call Montauk Peak the Sea. The sister Catherine, you know, wonky eyebrows girl, sat down beside me on the couch. Do you live down on Long Island, too? She inquired. I live at West Egg. Really? I was down there at a party about a month ago. And a man named Gatsby's. Do you know him? I live next door. Well, they say he's a nephew or a cousin or something of Kings of Wilhelm's. That's where all the money comes from. Really? She nodded. I'm scared of him. I'd hate to have him get anything on me. Okay, her... <laughs> the voice went a little bit at the end there, but that's a pretty good Brooklyn voice, or I don't know. It's a good voice. <laughs> Thank you. I'd hate to have him get anything on May. I think I think I'm trying to, on May. Feels like okay. I'll work on that. The absorbing information about my neighbor was interrupted by Mrs. McKee's pointing suddenly at Catherine. Oh, Mrs. McKee, annoying ass bitch, always interrupting. Chester, I think you could do something with her. She broke out, but Mr. McKee only nodded in a bored way and turned his attention to Tom. Oh, uh, you could tell. I'd like to get more work on Long Island if I can get the entry. All that I ask is that they give me a start, you know? That's Myrtle, said Tom, breaking into a short shout of laughter as Miss Wilson entered with a tray. She'll give you a letter of introduction, won't you, Myrtle? Do what? She asked, startled. You'll give McKee a letter of introduction to your husband so we could do some studies of him. His lips moved silently for a moment as he invented George P. Wilson at the gasoline pump or something like that. Catherine leaned close to me and whispered in my ear, Neither of them can stand the person they're married to. Can't they? Can't stand them. Catherine looked at Myrtle and then at Tom. What I say is, why go and live with them if they can't stand them? If I was them, I'd get that divorce I'd get married to each other right away. Doesn't she like Wilson either? The answer to this was unexpected. It came from Myrtle, who had overheard the question, and it was violent and obscene. You see, cried Catherine triumphantly. She lowered her voice again. It's really his wife that's keeping them apart. She's a Catholic. They don't believe in divorce, those Catholics. <laughs> Daisy was not a Catholic, and I was a little shocked at the elaborateness of the lie. When they do get married, continued Catherine, they're going to go west to live for a little bit. Well, you know, until it blows over. It'd be more discreet to go to Europe. Oh, do you like Europe? Kathleen exclaimed surprisingly. I just got back from Monte Carlo. Really? 
Just last year, I went over there with another girl. Oh? She went to Monte Carlo with another girl? Monte Carlo. Oh. <laughs> I feel like I'm reading into these things. I feel like... You just have something on the brain. <laughs> Would you go to Monte Carlo with someone you weren't having bang bang time with? I would go to a lot of places that I'm not having. <laughs> I don't know. It's different when I go, I'm going to go see Jess. But like, I don't know. Would we go to Monte Carlo together as platonic besties? I think we would um, <laughs> perhaps run into locals. But <laughs> but I think we would have like the best time in the entire world. I mean, you and me could be in a town in Alaska. Like, we could be, like, in a town in Alaska, and we'd have the time of our lives. It doesn't matter where we go. We could just be in a cardboard box, like, breathing. <laughs> in a thr- we could be, like, in the donation box behind a thrift store. Finally, <laughs> not where it's, like, <laughs> in there, like, all smushed. Like, people are still, like, shoving stuff in. Like, you know they're going to throw all this out, right, <laughs> guys? <laughs> <laughs> Did you stay long? No, we just went over to Monte Carlo and back. We went by the way of Maasai. Oh, we had over $1,200 when we started, but we got gypped out of all of it in two days in those private rooms. We had an awful time getting back. Awful, I tell you. God, how I hated that town. It was awful. It was awful. It was just awful. Okay, that that part was improv. (laughs) The late afternoon sky bloomed in the window for... That's what at the end of the series, like, there was no great Gatsby. <laughs> I like the idea of In the Great Gatsby, which is a fictional book. It was awful, awful. It was just awful. Just going on for a whole page. Um, Where are we at? Where are we at? Oh, the late afternoon sky bloomed in the window for a moment, like the blue honey of the Mediterranean. Then the shrill voice of Mrs. McKee called me back to the room. They hate her. They hate her so much. The shrill voice. She's great. I almost made a mistake, too, she declared vigorously. I almost married a little kike who'd been after me for years. I knew he was way below me. Wait, what's kike? Isn't that a bad thing? It doesn't sound like um, a compliment. Oh, it's a slur for a Jewish person. <gasps> oh, <laughs> Mrs. Wilson. I hate her. Or Mrs. McGee. It's Mrs. McGee. F Mrs. McGee. I'm pretty sure the author hates her, too. The way that she's been being described this whole time. Like, that. I knew he was below me. Everyone kept saying to me, Lucille, that man's way below you. But if I hadn't met Chester, he'd have got me for sure. Yes, but listen, said Myrtle Wilson, nodding her head up and down. At least you didn't marry him. I know I didn't. Well, I married him, said Myrtle ambiguously. And that's the difference between your case and mine. Why did you, Myrtle? Why did you? Why'd you do it? No one forced you to demand Catherine. I'm like, I love Catherine just because the voice. I gave her like a long island like, what you do? What you do? What you do it, man? Myrtle considered. I married him because I thought he was a gentleman. She said finally. I thought he knew something about breeding, but he wasn't fit to lick my shoe. Ooh. Damn, that is an insult. Get it? Insult. Oh, <laughs> oh it is an insult for sure. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, some people might like the idea of licking them shoes, licking them feet of yours. So feet is a thing, but the shoes, that's a, that's the new. The, maybe Jen will be like, oh, we're shoe lickers. <laughs> I don't know. The, the shoe lickers. It sounds awful. Oh, just so awful. 
I love how they just get drunk and then complain about their love lives. I mean, we do that, too. Don't get me wrong. I don't think I've ever done that. <laughs> <laughs> no, listen, my memory sucks, but I can think of the countless times we've gotten drunk and complained about those love lives. Oh, my God. Is it love, though? I don't think that's what love is, Matt. <laughs> my favorite. <laughs> it's definitely not love. Uh, more is it like love our hate, if it's our your hate college lives. professor? Wait, what did you say? More like our hate lives because the, the guys would end up hating us and we'd hate them. I think it's more of they hate us and I don't know. <laughs> Any, I don't think we'll ever hate anyone. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so funny. Um, okay, where were we at? We were at um, uh, you were you were crazy about him for a while," said Catherine. "Crazy about him?" cried Myrtle, uh, incredulously. "Who said I was crazy about him? I was <laughs> never any more crazy about him than I was about that man there." Uh oh. What? Oh. That doesn't point... make it okay. <laughs> <laughs> she pointed suddenly at me, and everyone looked at me accusingly. I tried to show my, by my expression that I played no part in her past. The only crazy I was was when I married him. I knew right away I made a mistake. He borrowed somebody's best suit to get married in and never even told me about it. And the man came after it one day when he was out. She looked around to see who was listening. Oh, is this your suit? I said. This is the first I've ever heard about it, but I gave it to him and I laid down and I cried to the beat to beat the band all afternoon. She really ought to get she really ought to get away from them, resumed Catherine to me. They've been living over at that garage for 11 years and Tom's the first sweetie she ever had. Oh, we all know how that first sweetie goes. Mm. It's hard. <clears throat> You look like no. you look like someone was like, like you're gagging. Like, ooh, ooh. I don't think it's hard, but maybe I've never been in love. <laughs> <laughs> the bottle of whiskey, a second one, was now in a constant demand by all present, except for Catherine, who felt just as good on nothing at all. Tom rang for the janitor and sent him for some celebrated sandwiches, which were a complete supper in themselves. I wanted to get out and walk eastward towards the park through the soft twilight, but each time I tried to go, I became entangled in some wild, strident argument which pulled me back as if with ropes into my chair. Yet high over the city, our line of yellow windows must have contributed their sense of human secrecy to the casual watcher in the darkening streets, and I was him too, looking up and wondering. I was within and without, simultaneously enchanted and repelled by the inexhaustible variety of life. Myrtle pulled her chair close to mine, and suddenly her warm breath poured over me the story of her first meeting with Tom. Was it warm because the booze, or warm because it stank? <laughs> I like how, for those, if you're listening to the podcast, Jess is just like, Oh, is it warm because of the booze or because of the stank? It's got to be the stank. <laughs> <laughs> it's always the stank. <laughs> um, who is this? Uh, Myrtle. Po oh, this is Myrtle. It was on the two little seats facing. Oh, I'll do a little drunk. It was on the two little seats facing each other. They're always <laughs> the last ones on the train. I was going up to New York to see my sister and spend the night. He had an address suit, and pan and other shoes, and I. 
couldn't keep my eyes off him, but every time he looked at me, I had to pretend to be looking at the advertisement over his head. And when we came into the station, he was next to me in his white shirt front pressed against my arm. And so I told him I'd have to call a policeman, but he knew I lied. I was so excited when I got in a taxi with him that I hardly knew I wasn't getting on a subway train. And all I kept thinking about over and over was, you can't live forever. You can't live forever. She turned to that bitch, Mrs. McGee. <laughs> Just kidding. Doesn't say that. And the room rang full her full of her artificial laughter. My dear, she cried. I'm going to give you this dress as soon as I'm through with it. I've got another one tomorrow. I'm going to make a list of all the things I've got to get. A massage and a wave and a collar for the dog. And one of those cute little ashtrays where you touch a spring and a wreath for the black silk bow from my mother's grave that'll last all summer. i got to write down a list so I won't forget things all to do. Oh, my God. She sounds so annoying. It was 9 o'clock, almost immediately afterward I looked at my watch and found out it was 10. Mr. McGee was asleep on a chair with his fists clenched in his lap, like a photograph of a man in action. Taking out my handkerchief, I wiped from his cheek the remains of a spot of dried lather that had worried me all afternoon. The little dog was sitting on the table looking with blind eyes through the smoke and from time to time groaning faintly. People disappeared, reappeared, made plans to go somewhere, and then lost each other, searched for each other, found each other a few feet away, and sometime towards midnight, Tom Buchanan and Mrs. Wilson stood face to face, discussing in passionate voices when Mrs. Wilson had any right to mention Daisy's name. Ooh, so they get into a fight. Daisy, 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 shouted Mrs. Wilson. I'll say it whenever I want to. Daisy, Daisy. Making a short, daft moment, Tom Buchanan broke her nose with his open hand. Oh... Then there were bloody towels upon the bathroom floor and women's voices scolding and high over the confusion, a long broken wail of pain. Mr. McGee arose from his doze and started in a daze towards the door. When he had half gone away, he turned around and stared at the scene, his wife and Catherine scolding and consoling as they stumbled here and there among the credit furnitures with articles of aid and the despairing, the despairing figure on the couch bleeding fluently and trying to spread a copy of Town Tattle over the tapestry scenes of Versailles. Then Mr. McKee turned and continued out the door. Taking my hat from the chandelier, I followed. They just left? This guy Wait, broke her nose say, and they just dipped. Did you say that they took half the chandelier? Oh, he took his hat from the chandelier. Oh, from the chandelier. <laughs> oh, okay. I was like, damn. And they took lights. They're like, oh, damn. The if chandelier. Gonna, if you're going to knock my lights out, then. <laughs> I, like the, I like the idea of like, okay, we're going to steal something from this party. And they're like, we're taking the chandelier. And they're just like unscrewing the chandelier. <laughs> like, shh, 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 gentle, shh, gentle. Hurry, no, just hurry. like, we see you. <laughs> shit's crystal, bitch. <laughs> yeah. Come to lunch someday, Tom suggested as we groaned down the elevator. Oh, this is Mr. McKee, I think. Come to lunch someday, Mr. McKee suggested as we groaned down the elevator. Where? Anywhere. Keep your hands off the lever. Snapped the elevator boy. Ah, I beg your pardon, sis, said Mr. McKee with dignity. A girl, I didn't know I was touching it. All right, I agreed. I'll be glad to. I was standing beside his bed, and he was sitting up between the sheets, clad in underwear, with a great portfolio in his hands. Beauty and the Beast, Loneliness, Old Grocery Horse, Broken Bridge. 
Then I was lying half asleep in the cold lower level of the Pennsylvania station, staring at the morning Tribune and waiting for the four o'clock train. Oh, it feels like they got together. Is that just me? Four o'clock in the morning train? Yeah. They were they were like reading the book together and blah blah blah. All right, continue. I'm excited. Let's go. That's the end of chapter two. Oh, oh! the right. worst party ever. First of all, they started way too early. They they were drinking so early, and that's why the party ended at like 10 p.m. Not a great. They should start a little later. I was just gonna say, I'm surprised they don't have like. I, they've had to have like. Yeah. Also, like I've seen you fight a bitch at a party, but you've never broken a nose. Because I would never intentionally hurt anybody, ever. Not even drunk. It's not even <laughs> fighting. It's not fighting. It's just like, let me tell you something. <laughs> let me throw you down to the floor, bitch. No. Uh, Isn't it, you know what? You would be great at like female wrestling. I think. <laughs> Can you imagine? It's Jessinator. <laughs> it's big jugs jess oh my mm. god <laughs> you would oh be god. like oh and coming in in this corner we have the strongest most talented <laughs> it bo- is boobylicious offensive perhaps i don't know <laughs> <laughs> the various bear of them all ready mm. to just like blow out the competition <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? We are two chapters deep. There's nine chapters all, so we are two ninths through the story. Uh, what do you think of the book so far, Jess? Um, I'm trying to actually picture these characters one and two. Um, these voices <laughs> are making what they look like even a hundred times better. Also, I think I'm so picky with like authors. I just sometimes I feel like they over describe things that I don't care about. Yeah. They're like, oh, I bought cigarettes and then lost another party. So are you trying to say like mm-hmm you're so drunk or are you just trying to say like somebody took them like my brain goes to all these other avenues but what do you think of the book because we both never fully read this book Mm -hmm. before even though i think i might have on accident like Mm -hmm. i think i was in class but (laughs) i I think i i do think like it's really intriguing and i like what they're doing they're painting this picture well (laughs) there the author you know scott fitzgerald himself um, painting this picture of like a lot of unhappy marriages, right? And this idea of kind of, I think that's kind of like the crux of this book is like talking about, you know, marriage culture and like, you know, especially back then, like if you weren't married by like 25, you were kind of like, you know, it was not a good sign, especially if you were a woman. And and so these people are in these really unhappy marriages and, you know, they're dealing with it differently. You know, you kind of have Mr. McGee not pay attention to his wife and you have Gatsby and um, Myrtle who are both cheating on each other. Daisy being kind of passive aggressive and how she talked to Tom in chapter one. So um, to me, like this speaks more about kind of marriage and relationships um, and kind of like the the not the stigma, but I guess the um, the social element of marriage in that time period. You know, like there's that sentence where, oh, Daisy's a Catholic and she doesn't want to get divorced, which is a lie that Tom's telling because Tom, who isn't happy in his marriage, but he's not going to leave the marriage. Like he wants to be married to Daisy because Daisy's good at looking at that house girl. 
But Myrtle Wilson, you know, the the person that Tom's cheating on, she doesn't have that. So he's not going to leave, you know, that pretty wife. And so I, I think it's really it is interesting, but it also makes me really appreciative. Like they didn't have anything to do. They just got drunk. That's all they did back then. There was nothing else to do. I guess get drunk, talk shit and think about cheating. <laughs> and and then cheat. Well, when we return, uh, chapter three, ooh, I think we're going to finally meet uh, the man of the book himself. Finally. I know. Although I hope Catherine comes back. It was just so awful. It was awful. It was awful. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, uh, Rebar Reads, chapter three. We'll see you next time. And Jess, as always, thank you for being here. Thank you for doing this. You are amazing. You are funny. You are sexy. I could eat you up for breakfast. And we'll see you next Please time. Please do. <laughs> <laughs>